Hi, this is uh, Dale. Welcome to Real Seekers. Um, today I have a special treat for you guys. Uh, so I, I reached out um, to a, a scholar, uh, Dr. Shabir Ali. Uh, so first of all, welcome to the show here, Shabir. Oh, my pleasure to be on. Thanks. Thanks for giving me this opportunity. Awesome. Yeah, it was a pleasure to, to have you on because um, I did a show about a year and a half ago uh, on Islam and I brought on someone that you're familiar with, uh, Louis Dizon. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were kind of going over all of the Islamic apologetics arguments and that sort of thing. And one of my Muslim listeners, Omar, I won't give his last name, but he kind of reached out to me and said, you know, this was a great show, but why don't you bring on someone that represents the Islamic side? And obviously you're the first name that, that um, rung, rung true to me because uh, you're a, a scholar that helped me out in my own personal journey when I was kind of researching the religions and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, we brought you on and we're going to be talking about the numerical patterns in the Quran. Sure. Yeah. Awesome. All right, cool. So what I'll do at this point, just for the audience who might not know who you are, do you want to just take a, a few minutes and just kind of introduce the audience as to who you are? And if you don't mind, maybe share a little bit of your own faith journey. Yeah. My name is Shabir Ali. I was born in Guyana in South America. I migrated to Canada when I was a teenager. I went to high school in Canada, did my uh, undergrad uh, with Laurentian University in Sudbury. Uh, then I uh, pursued my master's at the University of Toronto in uh, Quranic exegesis. And then I went on to do my PhD at the same university. Um, uh, that, that's in terms of my education. And uh, since many of you uh, uh, may be interested in comparative religion, it may interest you to know that my undergrad work was in um, a lot, largely on biblical studies. It was religious studies, but uh, in those days at that university, it was uh, largely biblical studies. Um, as for my personal uh, life, I am married. I have uh, four children and uh, three grandchildren whom I enjoy very much. Uh, my personal faith journey. So when I was a young person uh, growing up in Guyana in South America, uh, they, there were Muslims, uh, Hindus, and Christians living in harmony. Uh, they, they, uh, there were often uh, Christ, Christian missionary inroads uh, into the, the regions where we lived. Uh, and, and so we, uh, I got some uh, introduction to Islam, uh, to, sorry, to Christianity. In those days, uh, we um, saw uh, movies about uh, Samson and Delilah and so on, shown in large open parks, because Guyana is a tropical uh, country, um, I suppose you know that. And uh, so, you know, we could year round, sit around in the, in the park and, uh, and watch these uh, movies. And uh, the um, preachers would be there singing songs. Some of those songs still ring uh, in, my, in my head from time to time. Um, about, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, and so on. Uh, so with that um, introduction, when I came to Canada, I, um, I often was visited uh, at my home by uh, missionaries, sometimes uh, persons of um, the Jehovah's Witnesses persuasion, sometimes of uh, partly some other missionary groups. I was not so very familiar with all of the groups at that time. But Jehovah's Witnesses were very prominent and very um, uh, repetitive in their, in their visits, very persistent. And I got into discussions with them on, um, you know, how to um, 
understand some of the issues uh, that Muslims and Christians differ about. Eventually, that uh, you know turned me into a preacher of the of the Islamic uh, faith. As for my own uh, commitment to the to the faith as a Muslim, uh, when I was a teenager growing up in Guyana, uh, the uh, but I, I, I must confess that I did not come from a uh, family with a strong religious um, uh, commitment. And, uh, you know, I say that with some hesitation because I, I don't want my family to look bad, especially my parents. Um, uh, but, you know, that was the nature of uh, religious commitment among Muslims more generally at the time, it seems to me. Uh, so it was not something out of the ordinary. My family were not bad people. It's just that religion was not a very important thing at that time. Uh, but uh, one day, the, the imam, the uh, Muslim faith leader of our village, came around uh, inviting the men to come out to the mosque and patronize the mosque. And uh, I, I snuck up to, uh, to listen to what he had to say to my father and brother, my elder brother, that is. And I mean, I was not the target of his of his visit. Um, I was too young, apparently. Uh, in any case, uh, I, I found that what he said made sense, and and I really ought to go to the mosque. And uh, I started going and learning about uh, the religion, reading books about it. And the, the more I read, the more I became convinced that Islam is uh, a, something that makes sense uh, altogether, and it is something that I ought to dedicate my life to. And so here I am. So there you are. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. Because I, I don't think I've ever asked you that before about your own um, faith journey. So that was that was interesting to hear there. Um, I see that our Christian co-host has has joined us. Uh, better late than never. Uh, hey, Robert. Um, how's it going? Good, good. Yeah, I, I like to make an entrance, you know, uh, make it about <laughs> myself, you know. Um, no, uh, thanks for uh, apologies for being a few minutes late. And it's absolutely a pleasure to be here. Um, Dr. Ali, uh, I've definitely watched some of your videos um, and enjoyed them. Uh, Dale sent me uh, a debate you had on this topic. Um, who was that debate with, Dale? Uh, Richard Lucas. Mm. Yes, um, which was definitely helpful. Um, and yeah, no, I, I'm excited to be here. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah, thank, thanks for helping me out. And uh, Robert's role is basically uh, to ask ask some sort of follow up questions and, and represent you know the what the audience might be wondering about in terms of Shigeru's case there. So um, yeah, with with that said, let's let's get straight into the topic. And the first thing I, I want to ask you about Shigeru is um, okay, so we're talking about the numerical patterns in the Quran. Um, can you just maybe take a few minutes and give give us uh, the context? Like where does that where do these fit into Islamic apologetics? Are there other positive evidences or, or is this the be all and end all? Like what's sort of the context of it? Well, the Quran was revealed in a context in which uh, naturally the, the message was resisted uh, by those people who already were complacent with their uh, followings and their religions at the time. Uh, there were Jews, there were Christians, there were pagan uh, Arabs at the time. And uh, each of these groups had their own interest in preserving what they have and to resist uh, the newly preached faith. So the Quran itself began to defend itself and to promote itself as the word of God. There, there are many, many passages in the Quran which insist that this is a revelation given from the Almighty God. 
to the Prophet Muhammad and whom be peace, who himself is uh, a prophet of God, like prophets that came before him. And, uh, and, and uh, you know, the, the Quran insists on, on belief in itself as a message from God, a book from God, and also in the prophet as the bearer of that message uh, as a prophet and messenger of God. Uh, over time, however, uh, Muslim um, uh, empires, uh, you know, blossomed everywhere. Islam became the largest uh, uh, empire, a single empire actually known in history, from, spanning from India in the east to Morocco in in the west, and in fact up into in fact up into the Iberian Peninsula as well. Uh, so in, in those days, uh, Muslims did not feel the need that much to enter into apologetics to defend the faith. Uh, they, they mostly described the faith for the following. This is what you do as Muslims. Uh, and uh, although they, they were surrounded by non-Muslims or non-Muslims uh, were there in their midst, uh, nonetheless, they did not feel that need to always defend the faith. Uh, they, they, they felt that the Islamic faith and practice itself was a sufficient demonstration of the, of the truth of the faith. And, and it's, it's benign nature, at least, uh, and more so it's, uh, it's being a benefactor for uh, humanity. Now, in our modern times, as we are uh, often engaged with our non-Muslim friends, so we um, live in a world that is interconnected. The world has been reduced to a global village. Uh, ideas in one part of, part of the world are quickly reported and known in another part of the world. And, and so we live in a world in which ideas are interacting. And naturally, uh, Muslims uh, have been coming forward to uh, defend the faith in the world of, of ideas. So defend, defending the faith often comes down to uh, defending the Quran is the word of God, because a lot goes back to the Quran. If we say that uh, the faith teaches this, how do we know that should be followed? Well, because that comes from the Quran. And how do we know we ought to follow the Quran? The answer is obviously because the Quran is the word of God. And then that raises uh, the ultimate question, how do you know that the Quran really is the word of God? So uh, a lot of uh, apologetics uh, um, it centers around um, uh, the idea of the Quran as the word of God and trying to establish it. So a, a number of arguments have been used by apologists in general and uh, by myself in particular. Awesome. awesome. All right, cool. Well, with that said, um, let's get straight into the specific, these numerical patterns in the Quran, because this, this was something when I was studying, uh, again, with your help, um, a couple few years back, I thought this was the most powerful type of evidence that uh, in favor of Islam. So, so yeah, with that said, let me turn it straight over to you to give sort of an opening presentation um, for 20 minutes or so, and feel free to share your screen and take it away. What, what are these math patterns all about? Sure. So let me start by sharing the screen and here we are. So uh, Dale, uh, and uh, Robert and, and whoever else might be listening to, to this, uh, watching this later on. Uh, what I would like to present here is uh, the fact that uh, in the Quran, there, there are things that are so mathematically aligned uh, that this seems to be best explained uh, by the thesis that the Quran is a revelation from the Almighty God. Uh, because the uh, Quran, um, 
does not seem to have these patterns as a result of any human tinkering with the text or any human deliberately trying to make the text come out like this. It just so happens to, to, to be discovered in hindsight like this. Now, naturally, the Quran uh, was uh, a, a message, a book of guidance, uh, teaching people good morals and uh, good practices. Uh, the, when, when one is producing such a, a, a writing, one hardly counts the letters, the words which are being used, uh, and so on. And in fact, uh, the earliest copies of the Quran do not have verse numbers written in. So eventually, uh, Muslims wrote in the verse numbers in order to make it easy to refer to the Quranic text. And we see that even the verse numbers uh, align uh, in mathematical patterns. So all of this calls for an explanation. And uh, what is the best explanation for that? So the best explanation is that as the Quran uh, was from its inception, insisting that it is the word of God and asking people to read it, to examine it, to study it, uh, and, and to convince themselves that this is the word of God, uh, we, uh, we, we find that the Quran uh, becomes equally relevant to people today through these mathematical patterns uh, as a proof of its own uh, authority and authenticity. And uh, what, if, if we said that this is a book written by a human being some 1400 years ago, then even if we discovered some such patterns in the book, we would say, okay, all of this is a uh, coincidence, remarkable, but uh, coincidence nonetheless. Uh, but uh, on the idea that this uh, book is uh, a, a revelation from God trying to prove itself uh, to people of all times, uh, we see good reason to regard these mathematical patterns as a revelation from God and as God's way uh, of establishing his book as his uh, in our modern age of computers, which uh, has uh, as its basis uh, mathematics. So with that in, in mind, let me start my slideshow from the beginning and go through it in some detail. So uh, the Quran in Surah 15, verse number 87, mentions the number seven in, in, a, in a peculiar way that, that leaves Muslim commentators wondering, why does it mention seven like that? What, what could be the meaning of this seven? And uh, Surah 74, verse number 30, mentions 19. And uh, again, in, in a puzzling way that left Muslim scholars uh, scratching their heads and asking like, why is 19 mentioned like this? Uh, now, in the first case, the mention of seven, says that God revealed uh, the seven oft repeated things uh, and the grand Quran. So it, it seems to be like this seven oft repeated things is uh, somewhat extraneous to the Quran. It is, it is that number and the Quran. And uh, in the second case, the number 19 in its context obviously refers to 19 angels guarding hell, uh, but uh, that left a, a puzzle in the minds of Muslim commentators. Why 19? Like, oh, wh why is 19 so particular? Uh, and and the, the verse goes on, like verse number 31, after this mention of thir 19 in verse 30, verse 31 goes on to say, you know, that uh, this is mentioned so as to strengthen uh, the faith of the believers and to remove the, the, the doubts of the people of the book and so on. So how would the just the mere mention of 19 angels guarding hell 
strengthen the faith of the believers and remove the doubts of the people of the book. So that's the puzzle that remains. And now it turns out that both these numbers, 7 and 19, have a lot to do with the Quran and has a lot to do with the alignment of uh, words, of uh, letters within words, uh, of the uh, chapter numbers and uh, the verses uh, within uh, the, the chapters, as we will see. So there are 114 chapters in the Quran, and it turns out that 114 equals 19 times 6. So a lot of things turn out to be multiples of 19, as some things turn out to be multiples of 7 as well. Now, there are 29 chapters that begin with mysterious letters. Now, they're called mysterious letters uh, in, in the academic uh, study of the Quran. Non-Muslim uh, Europeans uh, began to label uh, these um, letters like this. So what this refers to is that, you know, if we say LTD, that, that, that is obviously, you know, limited. It's short for limited. Uh, but if we said ABC, like, what is that? Uh, one might say, okay, that's the beginning of the letter. But if we said uh, ALM, um, one is puzzled. Like, what does that refer to? Is that the word ALM? Um, what is it doing there in all caps? Uh, is, is what we would, uh, the best way to describe it, uh, even though Arabic does not use all caps. But these are what we would call um, in Arabic, al-huruf al-muqatta'at, the disjointed letters. And the Europeans call them mysterious letters. Mysterious, why? Because nobody knows what they mean. Uh, what they mean. There are educated guesses about what they mean, uh, but, but nothing solid in the Islamic tradition. But now, from a mathematical point of view, we can, we can now make some inroads here. Uh, we can see that uh, 114 divided by 4 equals 28.5. Uh, so there, so that's one quarter of the Quran. You can say 28.5, and 28.5 rounds up to 29. Now, uh, it so happens that there are 29 chapters that bear these symbolic letters at at the beginning, these mysterious uh, letters, which means that. Um, you know, if we conceive of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, putting it all, all together, teaching all of these various surahs, and, uh, and at the beginning of some of these surahs, he has these mysterious letters, uh, because all of this was done by memory work, it's hard to conceive like how he um, decided that, that these 29 should have uh, these uh, mysterious letters at the beginning. But okay, you might say, okay, this one is a relatively simple task. He just has to remember every fourth surah uh, to, to do that. But it's not every fourth surah. It's like uh, there is a whole bunch of surahs together that have it, then a whole bunch of surahs that do not have it, then a bunch of surahs that have it, and so on. And it, it just like scattered without any uh, noticeable pattern. What is interesting as well is that 10 of these chapters uh, that have the mysterious letters are, have it such that the mysterious letters are not verses by themselves. It's like you would go A-L-M, and it's not a verse by itself, so then it continues. And then uh, you would go to another chapter where the mysterious letters are there, but it's a verse by itself. And uh, you again, the, the puzzle remains. Like What, what makes some of these uh, be verse by themselves? And, and some not be verses by themselves. But be, without answering those questions, we can just see that if 10 are, are such that they are, the, the mysterious letters are not complete verses, that means that there are 19 uh, chapters such that the mysterious letters are uh, complete verses by themselves. And hence we have the recurrence of the number 19. 
Now, if we look at the chapter numbers uh, and, and uh, get a sense of how the mysterious letters play out, you see chapter number two has uh, the mysterious letters ALM, uh, which are three uh, mysterious letters, as I show in the last uh, column there. Chapter 19 has uh, five mysterious letters. The fourth letter is represented just by a backwards apostrophe. That is uh, how academics uh, do it nowadays, because that's the letter Ayn uh, from both Hebrew and uh, Arabic, which do not have an English uh, equivalent. So there we have five letters. And uh, Surah 38 has a, a one letter only. So now we can tally this up and see in my um, next slide uh, that there are some, um, um, some of these mysterious letters uh, that repeat themselves, like ALR, for example, that you can see on this sheet that this is repeated uh, in two surahs, so shown here, uh, 12 and 14. Uh, but ALMR is unique, it's not repeated. Uh, now, if we ask, uh, you know, um, I, I think this part is already um, explained, so I'll, I'll just move on. So if we, if we look at the next slide, uh, the number of unique initial sets are 14. And, and I've shown the tally here. So all of these combinations that are shown in the second column, uh, these are the, the, the unique combinations, well, unique in the sense that they might be repeated elsewhere, but if we minus the repetitions, there are 14 uh, separate combinations, let's put it this way and the places where they occur and, uh, and so on. And then other chapters where they do or do not occur and the number of occurrences altogether, which we've already shown to be 29 as indicated here in the last column. But what is new here on this sheet is the discovery that there are 14 unique patterns, uh, which, uh, uh, which number is interesting to us because that happens to be a multiple of seven, it's seven times two. Um, so 14 equals seven times two. Now, uh, to continue, if we ask uh, how many unique letters are used in these various combinations. So here in my third column, what is new on this page is that I uh, isolate the, uh, the, the letters. If they're used already, then they're not repeated in this uh, column. And we can see how many uh, unique letters are used altogether to make up all of these uh, 14 different patterns. And in the last column, I show the tally and uh, the total there is also 14 and which is also seven times uh, uh, two. So you see the recurrence of the 14 in these what are called mysterious uh, letters. Now, if we look at uh, the unique initial sets, uh, there are uh, 14 such initial sets, these mysterious letters, and these are the combinations. And if we ask in total, how many letters are used to write these um, uh, 14 combinations, regardless of repetition, and the tally on the, in the last column shows that the total is 38, which turns out to be 19 times two. So we have this interplay between multiples of seven and multiples of 19, just dealing with these uh, mysterious letters at the beginning. So I show here where more information can be found, uh, islamnoon.com, that's an important website uh, that is mostly in Arabic, but it has a few uh, articles in English. You have to just, just, just have to pick your language as you enter that site. And kahil7.com, which has, uh, uh, as the name might indicate, uh, a lot of interests uh, in, in the number seven and multiples of seven and recurrences of things in the Quran. Um, in, in sevens. Now, I turn to um, 
the the mention of Jesus in in the Quran in, in a, a very interesting verse, Surah three, verse number fifty nine. The Quran says that Jesus is like Adam. Now, what does that mean? In the context, uh, the the wording of the Quran is giving us the message that just as God created Adam, God also created uh, Jesus. So, in other words, uh, the relationship between God and Adam is creator creature. So too with uh, with Jesus. Uh, but that's the message. And now if we look at it from a mathematical angle, we, we find some interesting um, results. Jesus is mentioned 25 times, and Adam is also mentioned 25 times in the Quran. So that's an interesting coincidence, um, showing that Jesus and Adam in, are in a way alike uh, in the eyes of God. Now, if you think about the Quran being revealed to the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, a piece at a time over a period of 23 years, until all of the pieces are gathered together from various written pieces of material uh, to be presented as a whole book within a couple of years after his death, then the question is, how did the Prophet Muhammad uh, recall how many times in, in spontaneous revelations did he mention the names Jesus and Adam so that it tallies like this? And these are not the only words which come out like this. There are others as well. But I want to go deeper and see not only that the words occur a number of times, but how the, the words uh, occur strategically in, in, in specific uh, places within the Quran. So uh, if we ask, what is the correct connection between 7, 19, and 25? Because we were talking about 7 and 19, and now suddenly we're talking about 25. Well, here is an interesting scenario. Let, let's see we write out the numbers 1 to 25. Uh, in sequence. And then below that, we, we write the, the numbers 25 to 1 in the reverse sequence, uh, aligning uh, the second row with the first. What we will notice is that 7 and 19 uh, actually are in the same column, uh, going from left to right. And uh, going from right to left, we see that 7 and 19 are in the same column as well. Uh, so, so this seems to be very strategic. These are coincidences, to be sure, uh, but to um, categorize this, these are all just mere coincidence, uh, seems uh, out, out of sync with what we know about the Quran more generally, that it continues to present itself as a book from God, and it's arguing for its own divine origin. Uh, and and th there's an interesting verse in the Quran that says, uh, We shall show them our signs in the heavens and in themselves until it becomes clear to them that it is the truth. So the Quran is showing people its truth in so many different uh, ways. Now, what is interesting as well is that if we take the first 19 mentions of Jesus, here are the chapter numbers they, where, where Jesus and Adam are, are both mentioned. Um, then we can see the chapter numbers and the, and the verse numbers where these two uh, persons are mentioned by name. Now, we see that the, the verse that we were looking at that says that Jesus is like Adam is actually the, in the seventh uh, place in both of these columns. It's, if we go in the times mentioned column, it's seven. That shows chapter three, verse 59 for the mention of Adam. And also chapter three, verse number 59 for the mention of Jesus. In that one verse, Jesus and Adam are both mentioned for the seventh time. Even though, as you look at this chart, you will see that the mentions of Jesus and Adam are, are sporadic. Uh, if, if 
Every time the, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, mentioned Jesus, he also was careful to mention Adam. Then you would know that the numbers would come out like this. But uh, as we can see um, in chapter two, uh, there are more mentions of Adam than Jesus. So he would have to keep a tally in his mind if he was doing this deliberately. Um, and chapter three has many more mentions of Jesus, uh, well, three uh, as compared with the one uh, four, five, five now, as a compared with the with the two uh, mentions of uh, of Adam, and and for this to be the seventh mention of each, this uh, seems to be a remarkable coincidence. But it goes deeper than this. Uh, when we look at the nineteenth uh, mention of both Jesus and Adam, we see that they uh, the nineteenth mention of each is in the nineteenth chapter even though the chapters before this were all over the place. So you can see in the uh, Adam column, there was a lot in chapter seven. And in the Jesus column, there was a lot in chapter five. Um, and then Adam column has uh, chapter 17 and 18. Oops, I think you froze there. Of both Jesus and Adam. Uh, are uh, is in the 19th chapter. Now, the verse numbers are different here. Uh, so that part has piques our interest. Why is it verse 58 here and verse uh, uh, 34, 58 for Adam and 34 for Jesus? What's the difference between uh, 58 and 34? The inclusive difference turns out, uh, as we will come to that in, a, in another slide, but this slide just highlights the two um, places of our interest, the seventh mention and the 19th mention. So uh, when we uh, come to uh, the number of verses, so I have an unfinished thought there that I must come back to, like what's the difference between the 34 and, uh, and the 58? So let's hold that thought for a moment. So we come here to this uh, prepared slide, which is <laughs> channeling my, my thought. Um, so here we have like chapter three has 200 verses and then we go all the way down to chapter 19 that has 98 verses. Um, then we, we want to take away the 58 from chapter three because we, we want to find out how many verses altogether um, uh, expired from the first from the seventh mention of Jesus all the way to the 19th uh, mention of, uh, of Adam. So we're treating that as a whole block. Um, where Jesus and Adam are mentioned for the seventh time, and then all the way up until the 19th uh, mention uh, of Adam to get this whole block. And we, it turns out that, that the total number of verses in that entire block is 1957, as I show uh, at the bottom of this, uh, of this page, that being the total number of verses in the, in the verses uh, column. And uh, that number, 1957, uh, is uh, a product of 19. It's 19 times 103, remarkably so. And uh, now, if we ask, what is the total of the first numbers of the first 19 occurrences of Jesus? Here, too, we get exactly the same number. Here are the first 19 mentions of Jesus, the chapter and verse numbers, and the verse numbers remarkably, uh, remarkably add up to 1957, which, uh, as we know already, is 19 times uh, 103. So to get the same number, 1957, as though we're talking about a date in history uh, or the date of birth of uh, you know, a parent or something like this, 
well, it's close to my date of birth, by the way. But you know, if we're talking about but something like this, the, this number uh, occurs very frequently. But if we're talking about some, you know, random addition, it's it's hard to think about how you know by adding this way or that way you're going to get to the same 1900 and and 57. And yet this is what occurs, which is a product of 19, it being 19 times 103. I'm wrapping up now to the end. And then I'll, I'll get to your questions, uh, Dale and, and Robert. Uh, so I, I said, hold that thought about the uh, tw uh, 34 and, uh, and 58. It turns out that the inclusive difference, that means if we were to think about 34 being the first verse and keep counting until we get to uh, 58, uh, there will be 25 verses altogether, which means that in the 19th mention, in the 19th surah, uh, the 19th chapter of the Quran, uh, the 19th mention of Jesus to the 19th mention of Adam uh, gives us a block of 25 verses. And recall that both Jesus and Adam are mentioned in the Quran uh, exactly 25 times each by name. So we see these recurrent patterns and, and, and a tight-knit mathematical system uh, that, that governs this. Now, if we ask, you know, how did the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, uh, remember like all these verse numbers in fact, he couldn't because the verse numbers were not actually there within his lifetime. And these verse numbers came to be introduced into the text as reader-friendly aids uh, to mark the spots where the trained readers of the Quran, who go whose readings go back to very ancient tradition, and made definite stops, and they recognized these as verse numbers. And various verse numbering systems emerged in the Muslim world, but the, the one that we're dealing with here is that which became standard uh, by the publication of the 1924 edition of the Quran, which we refer to as the Cairo edition uh, in academic circles. And, uh, and this is the first numbers, uh, the, the first numbering system that God, by his providence, has made uh, popular throughout the world. And, and it shows this remarkable um, mathematical system behind it, uh, which could not have been the work of any human being. We, we just discovered this uh, in our recent times. In fact, it was 1974 uh, when uh, somebody first started to publicize this sort of information. He was an engineer from Egypt who lived in the United States of America, a man by the name of Rashad Khalifa. Uh, and prior to that, people did not discuss uh, the Quran as a mathematical miracle, as far as I can tell in our, in our history. Uh, now, I come to the last uh, demonstration, and, um, and then I get to your question. So uh, one of the uh, interesting aspects uh, of, of the Quran are, are the, um, the, what we call the gematria, known from uh, Hebrew studies, where uh, letters of the alphabet are, have been assigned numerical values, and they have been used in ancient times instead of, of numbers. Nowadays, it is very common to use numbers which are called Arabic numerals. Uh, after these have been uh, borrowed from India and introduced by Muslim scholars uh, to the rest of the world. Um, so that's why they're called Arabic numerals. Uh, but letters of the alphabet were given numerical values prior to that, and uh, the numerical values were used to number uh, things like verses and, uh, and even pages. And we find uh, old Greek manuscripts of the, of the Bible where, you know, you, you have number, the numbering system is based on this alphanumeric code. A, a letter, uh, you know, represents a certain number. 
so uh, going by that code, which is known uh, for, uh, through usage uh, uh, in, in Hebrew and, and in Greek, and also eventually in Arabic, uh, we can see that the name Musa in Arabic, Moses, uh, it has the numerical value of 116. That's the total um, uh, when we uh, compute the value of each letter that forms the word Musa in Arabic, um, and, and we get the total there. Sa similarly with Harun, uh, Moses' brother, Aaron, uh, his, uh, the numerical value of his name is 261. And we can see that the total of these two names is 377. That doesn't show anything yet, except it forms the basis of what we want to demonstrate next. Now, if we look at... Uh, uh, the surahs where uh, Aaron is mentioned. Um, so here we have a tally of the surah numbers and the ayah numbers, the first numbers. We see that the surah numbers total 377. Uh, now it is remarkable that uh, the um, that this should be a result because 377 is not a, a number that we expect to come up with again. Like, you know, we were just looking at that to be the total uh, of the names Musa and Harun, the numerical values. We don't expect this number 377 to occur again. And yet by a simple addition of the chapter numbers where uh, Aaron is mentioned altogether in the Quran, the, 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 all the 20 chapters mention his name, it turns out to be 377. Now at this point, somebody may say, but wait a minute, you didn't do anything about the verse numbers. And, uh, and yes, uh, so we, we don't see that, you know, the, the Quran is like, you know, a collection of boxes and cubby holes and everything fits into each cubby hole um, as though this was just an Excel sheet. The Quran is a message from God. It, it is a book that is teaching us something on the face of it. This is uh, poetic prose. Uh, and um, uh, we don't expect the mathematical alignments and to force fit it to mathematically align in every single uh, detail um, that would make the Quran a very different book, but the Quran remains primarily a message. And, and we can see the enough numerical co uh, coincidences, remarkable ones, uh, to give us a clear idea that uh, this is not by human doing. Uh, it looks like the Quran is true to its word, that this is a revelation from the Almighty God. But we'll go deeper now. So if we uh, look at these four, uh, th there are four surahs of the Quran, which um, uh, are, are tied together by the fact that each one be be begins with an, a mysterious letter, Ta. There are only four such surahs in the Quran, the 20th, uh, the 26th, the 27th, and the 28th. The 27th is not mentioned in this chart because Aaron's name does not uh, occur in that uh, 27th uh, surah. But here are the uh, verse numbers where Aaron's name occurs within these, uh, th this, this group of chapters that begin with the mysterious letter Ta um, in, in Arabic. And we see that the, the first numbers actually do add up to 377 in this case, just looking at these four surahs. But we're not done yet, because if we look at uh, the, uh, the verses where uh, Aaron is mentioned within these, uh, these chapters, and we look at the number of words within these verses, we see that those number of words uh, also total uh, 377. Again, we're dealing with a number that we don't expect to occur again. And how is it by a simple addition, uh, computing the total of all of the words that are mentioned uh, in, in those verses in which the name Aaron 
uh, is mentioned in these four verse chapters of the Quran, uh, we get the same number 377. And then lastly, uh, we look more comprehensively, focus uh, on the first, on the top half of this chart where we have the totals in, in blue. What this does is that it tells us that in Surah 20, uh, Moses occurs 17 times and Harun occurs 14 times. In Surah 26, uh, Moses uh, occurs eight times and Aaron occurs two times. And so we can go all the way down to uh, chapter 28. These are the four verses that begin uh, uniquely with the opening letter, mysterious letter, Ta. And uh, here we can see that the total mentions of uh, Moses is 46 within these uh, four surahs, and the total mention of Harun is seven. And now we look at the bottom uh, half of this chart, and here we have what is already familiar with us to us from a previous page. Uh, it is this page. We here we computed the. We didn't compute it. You, you're just uh, relying on my uh, and the correctness of my computation here, where I've shown you that Moses uh, is 116 and Harun is 261 for a total of 377. So this part of this this chart has been incorporated now at the bottom of this next this last chart actually uh, that we're studying before I go to your questions. So here uh, we are reminded that uh, Moses uh, is 116 and Harun is uh, 261. And I just transpose those numbers into the columns to line up with uh, the top half of, the, uh, of, of this page. And so that we can see from top down, Moses has the numerical value 116, Harun has the numerical value 261. So, uh, in blue, we have above this that Moses occurs 46 times. If you go 46 times 116, that's Moses, times the uh, number of uh, occurrences of Moses, uh, we get the grand total of 5,336 uh, shown in blue. And then we do the same for Harun. The number of times Harun is mentioned, seven times the value of Harun, which is 261. That gives us the total of 1,827. And the two numbers uh, at the bottom in blue add up to the grand total of 7,163 in the sum column uh, towards the right. Now, it just so turns out that that total, 7,163, divided by 19, brings us back to the same 377, which is the total of Moses uh, and Harun, 116 plus 261 gives us two, uh, 377. And what this uh, amounts to in words is that we, we have this interesting formula that could be expressed like this. Moses times uh, the number of Moses uh, equals Aaron, or rather, let, let me start over. So, so Moses times the number of mentions of Moses plus Aaron times the number of mentions of Aaron equals 19 times the sum of Moses and Aaron. So, so to get this remarkable uh, result, it, it seems to me to be more than, than coincidence. And uh, um, things like this make me uh, conclude uh, without a doubt that the Quran is the word of God. So, so with that uh, brief presentation, a little bit longer perhaps than uh, I expected. Totally me... fine. Okay, so let me turn to your questions. I'll drink some water. 
while, while you <laughs> voice your questions. Yeah. So, all right. Well, yeah. So thank you very much for, for giving that, that presentation of your case and that sort of thing. Um, at this point, uh, before we go to the next, the evaluational things, I just want to uh, ask a couple of clarification questions. So, so number one, you kind of mentioned in your presentation, so the, all of these patterns that, you know, apply to the 1924 Egyptian version of the Quran, uh, to your knowledge, do any, has anyone studied mathematical patterns in other versions of the Quran or manuscripts or anything, or is it just that 1924 that they're in there? I'm not aware that anyone has done any of these studies on other um, uh, manuscripts of the Quran or even what we call other readings of the Quran. Eventually, people may do. Some of these uh, uh, patterns that we pointed out do apply to others as well. Like, for example, that the fact that there are 29 surahs uh, that have these mysterious letters. Uh, this seems to be across the board. Uh, which is, uh, as we said, just one quarter of the Quran rounded up. Um, um, and, and there are other, uh, if we take these uh, letters that, that formulate this, we, we have shown that uh, there are 14 different patterns. That uh, is true for all of the readings. Uh, we, we show that the 14 different patterns are made up of 14 unique letters. That, that is true of all of the readings and so on. So a lot of this applies to uh, the readings across the board. Some of them may only apply to uh, the verse numbering system of the, um, what is called the, the th this is what is called the Iraqi um, uh, verse numbering system. Uh, and there were four readings among the most famous seven, which uh, are known to be uh, collected from the Iraq region. Uh, so perhaps uh, uh, the verse numbering, um, like those, those um, interesting phenomena, which we have pointed out to be based on the verse numbering of the Cairo edition, uh, may apply to uh, several of the readings as well, especially those uh, which uh, are based on the similar verse numbering system uh, that is known from Iraq. Okay. All right, cool. Ed, at this point, Robert, uh, I'll let you come in. Do, do you have any sort of clarification type questions about Shabir's presentation at all? Um, just a few quick ones. Um, first of all, it was very helpful. Thanks for taking the time to, to lay it out. Um, um, I wanted to ask a little more about the mysterious letters. Um, what makes them, are they letters that modern day Muslims do not know what their purpose was and it's still unknown? Um, yeah, I was just curious a little bit more clarification on that. Yeah, so, um, and Naturally, to, to know more about the Quran, we go to classical commentaries to see, you know, what, what the great minds before us have tried to, to, to explain these to, to be. Uh, so, uh, you know, Arabic has remained a living language. Uh, and so people who know the Arabic language might be reading the Quran and they can make sense of it. They may not need to resort to a commentary. They still do, but they may not feel such a need because they, they feel that they understand the language of the text. Uh, it's almost like a Christian reading the Bible in English and not feeling the need for a commentary, but scholars know you have to go to the classical commentaries and start from there. So uh, the, the Arabs themselves reading the Quran come to these letters and they don't know what it means because it's almost like we, we, we are reading something and, uh, you know, the, the first letter of, uh, of an English piece of prose um, is written in an archaic style but it's part of the, the word that follows and you just make sense of the whole word and you know that this letter is not isolated by itself. It's part of a word. 
but if you get uh, some isolated letters that do not form a familiar word in the English language, uh, you're wondering what that is. More so, uh, the uh, Arabic uh, language is uh, written in a, in a continuous cursive style, uh, not, not in block capitals. Uh, so uh, with, with that in mind, like with these letters are actually um, often like in a, in a as, if, as if it's like a disjointed letter by itself. It's, it does not continue uh, to be written in the same cursive style to connect with the letters that follow it. So why, for example, one letter by itself in isolation, it doesn't seem to make any sense. So uh, Muslim scholars have tried to explain this in various ways. They said that perhaps this was a way of challenging the Arabs uh, to remind them that the Quran is made up of uh, simple letters that they already knew, know from the alphabet, uh, and yet they cannot produce something like the Quran. This is one of the uh, interesting features of the Quran that the Quran is challenging them. Do you think that this is an invention of a human being? Okay, if you think so, well then produce something like it. And, and so one idea uh, among Muslim commentators is that uh, these mysterious letters are there as a challenge to them. It's a kind of like uh, teasing them. Um, but one idea that uh, seems to me to, to be uh, a better explanation is that uh, maybe these letters were like uh, warm-up vocals in order to draw people's attention. It's almost like in our uh, English uh, conversations, we might start sentences with so. Uh, usually the word so technically would, would imply a continuation and a consequence of what we were saying before. Uh, but sometimes we just mention the word so um, as a way of catching the other person's attention. So we say, uh, so Dale, how's it going? Um, the, the so here does not have any um, function except to first make sure the other person is listening to capture the person's uh, attention and then you say what is significant. So perhaps those letters were used in this way uh, to capture the attention of the audience and then to deliver uh, a, a, a pertinent message. Uh, but they remain mysterious. We can only say that this is an educated guess. It, um, you know, the, the, the meaning is still elusive. Just curious, are they all known letters, though, or are some actual like glyphs that you don't understand or something? They are, they are known letters from the Arabic language. Okay, mm -hmm. that, that's fascinating, though. Awesome. All right, cool. So, so at this point, I want to kind of transition into, okay, Shabir, now you've, you've kind of laid out your case. Uh, now what do we make in terms of evaluating your case? So the first thing I, I want to kind of ask you about is, Okay, just how do what how do you identify uh, a miracle of God, generally speaking? And uh, you've kind of went into this in your opening about kind of ruling out human design and stuff like that. But specifically with the numerical patterns, what is your process for identifying these things are miraculous? I don't know, Dale, if there is a, a particular way of um, of of deciding that something is by divine intervention as opposed to um, you know, if, if there was no God and, and things are happening like this, uh, we might speak of uh, a baby being born miraculously or someone miraculously being saved uh, from uh, a, um, a, a, a situation that only God could have helped this person from. Uh, from. But uh, whatever uh, people of religion describe as a miracle uh, can always be explained uh, by naysayers uh, by citing physical and, and natural causes. Uh, so I don't know if there is a, a 
clear way of insisting that something is a miracle. We can say that from a believer's point of view, uh, this seems to be a miracle from God. Um, but to uh, translate th uh, that to outside of a belief system, uh, it uh, you know what what is convincing to the believer may not be convincing to an outsider. The outsider can always say, uh, "This is." In, in terms of our numerical coincidences here, they can just say, this is just uh, sheer coincidence. Interesting. Um, all right. Um, and yeah, so I, so I guess one thing I'll, I'll say, if you don't mind me kind of going on, because I, I wanted to get your take on how I approached these numerical patterns. Um, and I kind of approached it through William Dempsey. You're familiar with this from your debate with Richard Lucas, but I approached it through... Dembski specify complexity, because I, I think that this is a statistical probability claim type thing. So let me let me just share my screen for a couple minutes. Again, you're, you're the guest, so I'm not going to take too long. But um, so I, I just wanted to quickly go over what specified complexity is. So in the first place, there is this criterion of specification. This is where you specify a given pattern that is independent of the event. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a detachable event, uh, sorry, pattern, um, in that way. Um, so tractability, I think is something that's really important for the numerical patterns in the CRAND. It, you know, the occurrence of the event has to be indeterminate with respect to deriving these numerical patterns in advance. Um, also with the complexity criterion. Um, so this is basically, it's an improbable event. It's, so it's a small enough probability that it's below some kind of probability threshold um, or something like that. So um, oops. so William Dembski has his kind of universal thing, which is anything that's one divided by 10 to the power of 150, that's a universal bound. Anything that's smaller than that, it can't be explained by chance or something like that. Um, whereas in certain cases, there may be localized probability bounds, and you would have to calculate that. Um, but here's, here's the main part that I want you guys. So it's really important with these to get what's called the saturated probability. Um, and that's represented by this sort of equation here, one minus, one minus the probability uh, to the power of n. And by, by that, so we have like the probability, you know, of an event, say it's one seventh or something like that. So, or sorry, if we roll a dice getting a three, um, it's one six. That's the probability of that. Um, in addition to that, though, you have to take into account what are called the probabilistic resources. And there are two types of that. So there's replicational resources. So, you know, what's the probability that you'd get roll a three? Uh, but you get to roll the dice five times to get that, that three, that one specified result. Um, and secondly, there's also specificational resources. So this can increase your probability if, well, hey, I'm not just looking for a three. What's the probability that I get a three or a five or a, a four or something? So I have a three out of six chance or something like that. Um, so so that's, that's kind of how I evaluate these patterns. But I wanted to get your sort of take on that in general. Obviously, I, you're the guest. So like, do you think this makes sense? Am I off base in using this to kind of calculate stuff? Or? 
Um, I, I cannot, uh, you know, at a glance, just um, comment on this in, in detail, uh, Dale, but let me, let me say two things. Uh, first of all, as you know, William Dembski's uh, uh, way of uh, arguing for intelligent design um, through these methods has not been widely accepted, even among Christians. Uh, in fact, there is a book published by Sondervan uh, entitled something like Four Views on Intelligent Design. Um, which shows that Christians have a variety of approaches to this and not all Christians uh, accept the intelligent design argument of William Dembski and, and others. Now, coming to uh, probability, uh, let me um, uh, maybe say something that will uh, align with where I think you want to go with this. So with, uh, you know, with the number seven, if we, to, to get something that is a um, a product of the number seven. We know that every seventh number is a product of seven, seven, 14, 28, uh, 21, 28, 35, and so on. So if we're picking numbers at random, uh, every seventh number um, probably will be um, a, a product of seven. Uh, and, uh, uh, but so too with the number 19, every 19th number is a product of 19. So we go 19, 38, uh, and, and 57, and 76 and 114 and so on. Uh, so these are products of 19 and every 19th number is, is such a product. So if we're picking numbers at, at random, then probably every 19th number, every 19th attempt will give us uh, a, a, a desired result. And then if we combine the two, we, we say, okay, you know, let's go either for the seven or for the 19, whatever we find, we're happy with either, then this just increases the chances that we will find it. So it's a probability of getting the seven, which is one out of seven, plus the probability of getting the one of uh, the 19, which is one out of 19. And then it, uh, the, the, the probability now suddenly is increased, uh, more of a chance. But still, with all of these in, in mind, we still find that it is uh, remarkable. Uh, the, the detailed, uh, um, the, the, the kinds of, uh, of um, coincidences that we find, like with this number 377, when, when we know already that this is the um, total value for Moses and Aaron, to find this repeatedly in the Quran, like this 377 uh, comes up again and again. It is true that it doesn't come up in every place. Like in one case, we added up the chapter numbers uh, in which Aaron is mentioned, but we didn't add up the verse numbers then because it would not give us the desired result. So we pass over the one that does not give us the desired result. This in a way might be call called cheating. Uh, but uh, when we see that this number 377 does show up in one of these two places, uh, that th this is remarkable because to get the number 377, uh, this is a three-digit number, and there are something like 999 or, or 900 and, and some, less than a thousand uh, three-digit uh, numbers, uh, and then you know, the, the chance of getting specifically 377 is one out of this 900. And then uh, to get that again, when we go to the four chapters that uh, mention um, Moses and Aaron in a prominent way and begin with the uh, mysterious letter of Ta, uh, we see their remarkable occurrences of the 377 again. Uh, so to have this 377 occur again and again and again, 
yes, it, it, it was not specified in advance. We didn't start from in advance and say, okay, let's look for the number 377 and see how many times it will occur in the Quran. Um, but, but looking at it in hindsight, um, that does not mean that it doesn't strike us. Uh, like we come across this number and say, hey, wait a minute. This is the same 377 that is Moses plus Aaron. And look how connected this number is with the name. And then to get that grand total, which is uh, the, the number of mentions of Moses times the value of Moses, plus the number of mentions of Aaron times the value of Aaron divided by uh, 19 equals 377, which is, again, uh, the um, value of Moses and Aaron. So that, that, is, that is remarkable. So it, it, it goes from depth to greater depth. And uh, it, to me, this, this is uh, the Quran's own way of demonstrating to us in our present times uh, that it is the word of God. But is it a knockdown proof? No, because if, if one wanted to argue, one would say, okay, why didn't you add up the first numbers in that case? And so on, you're picking and choosing. Uh, you're just uh, taking the ones that um, give you the results and you're ignoring the others. Uh, my, my reply to that is to say that uh, what I do have is enough uh, to convince me. Maybe it will not convince everybody, but that's the nature of uh, divine revelation. It doesn't convince everybody. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Uh, okay, so, so given um, my, my sort of follow-up questions are all based on specified complexity. So I, I take your point that, hey, you, you don't accept this. You don't think it's a proper way to sort of evaluate it. Um, no, it's not that I don't accept it, Dale. It's just that I haven't studied uh, that whole uh, matter of, uh, you know, specified complexity. I just know that, that it, you know, Dembski has described this and it's not, uh, his, his approach has not been widely accepted. But that does not mean that his, uh, you know, statements about probability are wrong. Um, it's just something that I have not studied in detail. Okay, uh, just one last question and I'll turn it to Robert uh, to ask questions on this. But, um, so you haven't studied, but to your mind, because I remember asking this um, when we were talking personally and that sort of thing. Do, do you know in, in the past th uh, four years and since we last talked, three or four years or whatever it was, um, are you aware of any Islamic scholars that have, so Cahill does great work calculating the P, that probability, uh, total probability. Um, but I've never seen like anyone tackle the issue of the probabilistic resources. How many replicational or specificational resources um, do they have? And, and that, that was kind of why I had to remain agnostic on it. So I'm just wondering, do you know of anyone who's at least tackling that issue or? Uh, the, um, th this whole study of the Quran in, uh, and its numerical patterns is, is still an ongoing study. And um, uh, what remains for Muslims to do is to um, publish uh, more of their working results uh, to show the number of steps they have taken to arrive at these remarkable uh, discoveries. Uh, because naturally for them to find the 377 in this place and that place, uh, there are a number of places where they didn't find it. Uh, and we need to tally all of those results. Uh, so for example, if, uh, you know, if we're uh, taking 19 attempts to find uh, the number 19, uh, then all of those have to be documented. And if they're all documented, maybe it will not look so remarkable anymore because it will look like we added up the verse numbers. We looked at the verse number, first of all, 
It didn't uh, show us anything to do with 19. We looked at uh, the chapter number. It didn't show anything to be with, do with 19. Uh, we added the two together. This is a third attempt. Still nothing to do with 19. And, and then, you know, we go to different ways of, of trying to find the 19. So if we go to 19 different ways, probably we will find the 19. Uh, so so that, that working method has to be uh, documented. Much of that has not been uh, documented. And... Uh, I think that will be the next stage and it will come. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. Uh, so yeah, with that said, that, Robert, I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Do, do you have any questions about the patterns and, and how we should go about evaluating them? Or? Um, yeah. I mean, do you mind if I just give some general thoughts sure. as well? Yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is very fascinating to me on a number of levels. Uh, one is um Miracles has been a very big interest of mine, period, for Christianity. And uh, one of my biggest questions is <clears throat> about miracles and other religions. And that's something I want to study more. And um, maybe in some other talk sometime, uh, Dr. Ali, I don't know if you have um, a lot of experience with looking into like um, other types of miracles in uh, Islam, especially like modern day ones, but I would love to uh, hear more about that sort of thing. So yeah, miracles are very interesting to me. And I have spent some time trying to parse through, you know, how do we evaluate that sort of thing? Uh, and another interesting thing about this is um, my background is in computer science and uh, partly in like uh, data mining and stuff like that. And um, so that gives another kind of interesting overlap. And my it, it that also introduces probably my biggest concern, which is that human beings don't have great intuition about big numbers uh, and probabilities. Uh, this is something I think, you know, we all, we all know on this call. Um, and it, it can really surprise us um, when you first hear about certain coincidences and patterns. Uh, one of my favorites is called the birthday paradox. I don't know if y'all are familiar with that, but um, if you have 23 people in a room, um, the probability of two of them having the same birthday is over 50%. And that uh, really surprises people because it feels like it should be a lot more people. Like there's 365 days. Uh, it feels like, you know, it, you would need uh, at least, you know, 80 or 90 people or something like that. Um, and so, uh, and another thing is just like coincidences in history. There's just, you know, a lot of weird, remarkable coincidences. Um, and so I think my, I think my overall concern is that when the kind of data space gets big enough, um, it is very easy to find various patterns. Um, and that doesn't mean there aren't remarkable patterns in there. It just means the bar gets raised a little bit. Um, and I think what you just said, uh, Dr. Ali actually is, uh, is, is great in the right answer as far as like, um, documenting, you know, how many basically kind of attempts, how many categories were there and then, you know, finding the answer. And then that gives you the actual, kind of final probability of finding that number you wanted or whatever. Um, but until you have that, it becomes a little bit challenging. Um, and so like, I mean, I think a lot of what you presented is, um, you know, the 377 is really uh, interesting how that pops up. Um, like one question I would have is like, um, I think uh, part of that coincidence was uh, being in the block of chapters that began began with Taw, I believe. Mm -hmm. And my question would be, is Taw, it was I was Taw selected simply because that is where the 377 was found? Or um 
you know, it would be more impressive, let's say, if Ta was somehow already known to be highly related to Moses and Aaron or something like that. Um, so I, I don't want to, um, it, it's funny to be on the skeptic side for once. I never get to play the, the skeptic. And I don't want to play the card that a lot of skeptic, skeptics do, which is to brush things away and say, I'm not convinced, or you, oh, you got to do more. You got to do more because you can always do more or less. Like, uh, like you said, you know, nothing's ever going to be foolproof. Um, but yeah, I think that overall concern for me would be um, about you, you, it's, it, it is a known thing that finding these patterns is um, in other areas can be somewhat easy to do. I mean, people joke about, you know, taking, um, different names and you find 666 and therefore that person is the antichrist if you do certain operations you know on uh, their their name somehow or something um, so just to, to, to wrap up one question I, I would have for you is like what do you think of like um, I know in that debate uh, I think the bible code came up uh, and similar projects where people have found patterns I don't know if you've looked into any of those things but yeah. Have you looked into those and do you find the case for the Quran simply just uh, better overall for these numer uh, numerical patterns? Yeah, in, in terms of the Quran's uh, patterns, um, there are Muslim scholars who uh, just uh, brush away the whole uh, phenomenon, uh, thinking that, uh, you know, our earliest uh, Muslim scholars did not know anything about this. And, and they presumably know everything about the Quran. And so it could, just couldn't be true. Um, uh, but, but, but no one has come forward, as far as I can see, with a, a uh, refutation of the phenomenon, uh, just uh, engaging with the, with the actual um, discoveries them, themselves. That, that's within the Muslim faith. And I mentioned that as a, as a preface to dealing with the Bible code. So the Bible code uh, presented by Michael Drosnin and Jeffrey Satinover uh, has been uh, widely criticized among Christians. Um, Graham Stanton, uh, I believe, is one uh, biblical scholar who has uh, written against this. And uh, what they have shown is that uh, the... Uh, what is presented as the Bible code is, is a use of the Hebrew letters uh, as a string of letters, the Hebrew letters of the Old Testament, as a string of letters, regardless of what they mean. And uh, the spaces are removed, so you have a continuous uh, um, string of letters, uh, spaces between words, that is. And, uh, and then the, these letters are arranged in, in, in rows and columns, naturally. Um, and then uh, words are, are searched for as we might search for words in a, a, in a book of puzzles today or in a local newspaper. You search for words going across, uh, going down, or going diagonally. And if words are, are so uh, discovered in proximity with each other that give a certain uh, meaning, um, then that is thought to be something miraculous, especially if it seems to predict an event that occurred long after the Bible. So for example, if one is able to find Indira and shot, then one would say, okay, well, this seems to be an indication that Indira Gandhi uh, would be shot. Uh, but uh, th this system is referred to as equidistant letter spacing. And it seems to owe its name to the, the idea that you put so many letters in a in a, in a row and the same number of letters below and so on. So you have a, a block. 
but if you do not find the desire any any meaningful results from one block of uh, presentation, then you can change the number of letters that occurs in each row. Uh, and, and then of course you get a very different block of letters, same letters, but they sneak around differently. And so you can suddenly find new words. And uh, if you go by this method, then the critics have pointed out that you can do this with almost any book. And uh, in the, somebody had actually mentioned Moby Dick in this regard. And apparently there was a challenge, okay, do it with Moby Dick, and then somebody did it too. Uh, but I'm a little bit vague uh, regarding this last uh, part, but that, that has been the main criticism of this, that it, uh, it, 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 it modifies the, uh, the data rather than to work with the existing data and letting the data speak. So in your opinion, for the Quran, numerical codes, there isn't enough selection going on by the person studying this to explain away getting these numbers, that it seems a little too baked into the text. Yes, yes. The, 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 I, I mean, given the time, I could only present uh, 20 minutes worth of, uh, of data, but um, uh, there, there are coincidences and patterns and interconnections uh, all over the Quran. And um, uh, so uh, these are too many and, and they're too complex to be uh, just simply the matter, you know, by, by coincidence. Like, for example, we saw uh, in my presentation that Jesus and Adam are both mentioned 25 times. And um, uh, the, the relation between 7 and 19 and 25 I've shown. And uh, we saw that the 19th mention of Jesus and Adam are such that there are, you know, in a block of verses that begin with, Jesus and end with Adam, and that block of verses is exactly 25 uh, verses long. And we've seen that the first 19 mentions of Jesus, uh, um, when the verse numbers are, are summed up, comes up to 1957, which is 19 times 103. And uh, from the seventh mention of, of Adam, all the way to the 19th mention of Adam, uh, 1957 verses have uh, transpired. Now, of course, we're, we're looking at two different things here. We're looking at the number of, like the, the first numbers where Jesus is mentioned for the nine, first 19 times. We didn't compare that with the uh, 19 first mentions of Adam. So we're, we're comparing two different things, but to get these, this number by this simple way, even if you say these are like two or three different tries, four or five, six, seven different tries, we're trying seven, eight, nine, 10 different things. But now we're not only finding the number 19, we're finding a recurrence of the 1957, which is not just simply 19 uh, anymore, it's, the, it's, it's this larger number. So, all right, cool. Yeah, thank, thank you, Robert. Um, all right, cool. I have one last quick follow-up uh, question on this section, and then we can move on to the, the poetic uh, patterns question as well. But so you mentioned the Adam and uh, Jesus comparison, 20, they're both mentioned 25 times. I've heard that in, in debates, like some opponents have said, well, actually one of them's mentioned 28 times. So there, there's apparent, I don't, first of all, is that true? And, and if so, why are why why and how do you guys eliminate the extra three to to make them on par? Um, yeah, yeah. Actually, we we don't eliminate anything. It's possible that those who said it's twenty eight, maybe they they use English uh, translations, 
And uh, maybe the English translator at a certain point inserted the name Jesus or Adam to, just to make sense of the passage. Um, but we're, at, uh, you know, when we say 25 times each, we're dealing with the Arabic text and uh, the actual mention of the name. So the name Adam, the name Jesus. And how do we know this information? Like, actually, we have resources that uh, were not meant uh, to do, uh, like, they're concordances, just like you have Bible concordances. I'm looking around to see if I have one here. So I have one here. Um, so this is a concordance of the, of the text. And it will give us uh, the, you know, here's the text of the Quran, uh, which didn't need to be here. Um, it's almost like you have a concordance of the Bible and you have the Bible pages within the concordance. It just makes the whole work uh, larger. But it's convenient here if somebody was trying to, um, you know, check the, the verse reference. We don't have to have another text to, to check it. Um, but, but what is unique about the book is that it mentions the words. We can see at the topical heading where the, the words on this page are, are uh, listed. And then the listings of all of the chapter numbers, chapter number and verse number, uh, where a certain word occurs. So we can see all of the numbers at a glance. So in a book like this, if we go look up Jesus, uh, which is Isai in Arabic, we'll see the, there are 25 results. And if we look up Adam, you'll see that there are 25 results as well. Gotcha. All right, cool. Yeah, you got you to gotta be careful about that when you're evaluating these for sure. So, all right, awesome. So with, with that said, um, uh, one thing that I found interesting um, when, when I was talking to you about these numerical patterns, you also mentioned that it's not just these mathematical patterns, but you there's also uh, some people like Raymond Farron have uh, sort of incorporated poetic patterns as well. And I think you mentioned that there's sort of a cumulative case based on these. Do, do you want to explain what the poetic patterns are? And do you think, how do they contribute to the numerical patterns? Yeah, so yeah, the, the numerical pa patterns are, are definitely more complex than the uh, poetic patterns, but... Um, what we find as well is that, uh, you, you know, the Quran has uh, certain uh, rhymes that, uh, you know, are at the ends of statements. Uh, so if you think about the opening chapter of the Quran, it, it uh, which for Muslims is often uh, repeated, um, it says, Bismillahir uh, Rahmanir Rahim, Ar Rahmanir Rahim, Maliki Yomiddin. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Maliki Yawmiddin, Iyaka Na'budu wa Iyaka Nasta'in. If, I mean, you don't, if you, even if you don't know Arabic, you can hear the endings uh, are usually M or N, and, and they seem to alternate, not necessarily in a predictable pattern, uh, but, but it's there. One of the um, favorite surahs of the Quran, a short and sweet one, which is used by Muslims in dialogues often, is the 112th chapter. Uh, which uh, uh, goes like this: ahad. You can hear the D sound at the end. Allahu samad lam yalid walam yulad walam yakullahu kufuan ahad. So the the word for one is ahad, and it ends with the D. And and the whole point of the surah is that there is only one God, and the D sound like repeats uh, throughout. Um, uh, so, so there is this kind of rhyming pattern in much of the Quran. Uh, so, so that's one way in which, obviously, we have to think of if the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, was trying to uh, get these numerical patterns, uh, then at the same time, he, he was trying to get things to rhyme. 
if you think of this as his own work. And not only this, but as Raymond Farron has shown, uh, the, the Quran actually has a complex arrangement in terms of its uh, themes and the uses of words and so on, uh, not even mentioning the mathematical angle. We, we see, for example, that uh, uh, there's, there are 114 chapters, and, and the first chapter uh, has themes and words which resonate in the last chapter, as if the whole thing falls, uh, um, uh, forms a, a large circle of ideas, and you go back to where you were. So almost like we're writing an essay today for a university, and our essay has to have an introduction, a body, and a conclusion. And uh, the conclusion has to hearken back to the introduction somehow, uh, while at the same time giving you a forward look. Uh, so the first chapter of the Quran uh, says, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, which means praise be to uh, God, uh, the Lord of the worlds. And the last chapter begins by saying, Kul nas, say, uh, I seek refuge in the Lord of humankind. And so the universality of the, of the God of Islam is mentioned in the first chapter, and it is there uh, resounding in the last chapter as well, as if the whole thing forms a unit. Now, uh, when we uh, realize that uh, the uh, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, uh, died and did not leave a finished copy of the Quran in writing, uh, but uh, only left it in the memories of his companions, and his companions gathered the scattered pieces to put it together. Uh, and, and then there were questions like, where does this go? Does it go here, there? Like, who remembers? And based on tradition, they tried to put it all together the way they could best represent what they had learned from the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. And then we have this uh, remarkable uh, coincidence like this. We have the, the whole thing reading as, as a completed unit. Um, uh, then uh, this is interesting in, in its own way. Now, the 114 chapters, as Raymond Farron has shown, um, uh, can be divided up into uh, various uh, groups of chapters. And then uh, we see that within the groups of chapters, uh, you have a similar type of phenomenon where they all read like a unit. And what is mentioned at the beginning of the group seems to resonate at the end as well. So that, that, that unitary yeah, that, that, that unitary composition uh, is maintained. And uh, you can see also the Quran uh, says that God has, has, has done everything in pairs, made everything in pairs. And, and so too, we can find that there are pairs of surahs within the groups, uh, within the larger groups. And uh, the, the pairs of surahs as well have this kind of uh, mirroring phenomenon. Um, and Raymond Farron has shown that uh, there, there is always some kind of duality or pairing. Uh, sometimes it's a mirror effect where you go A, B, B, A. Uh, sometimes uh, it's a rep repetition where you go A, B, and A, B again. Uh, but in, uh, in, in, it can be shown again and again that this kind of duality is, uh, is working in the, in the Quran. And then within a surah itself, uh, you can see even with the largest surah, the, uh, Surah Al-Baqarah, which is the second chapter of the Quran, consists of 286 verses. And we can see that the beginning uh, is resonated in the end. For example, at the beginning, it, uh, it reads, uh, this is the book in which there is no doubt. It is a guidance uh, for those who are aware and conscious of God and those who believe in, uh, in the life hereafter, those who believe in, in the unseen. 
And then uh, no more specification is given here about what is meant, meant by beginning in uh, believing in, in unseen things. But towards the end of this surah, probably the last but three verses, uh, says, uh, The prophet uh, believes in that which is being revealed to him, uh, and so do the believers. Each one of them believes in God and his uh, angels and, and books and prophets. Uh, so the uh, belief in, in that which was revealed to the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, was already mentioned at the beginning of this surah. Um, and, uh, and now it is mentioned again, belief in the unseen was mentioned, but not specified at the beginning. Now the unseen things, which include God and, and angels is now being specified uh, and other items of Muslim belief. So we see that the, the whole thing wraps as a wraps around itself, like a unit, it forms a continuous whole. Now the, the prophet Muhammad is said to have received pieces of revelation in various circumstances, uh, somebody might come to him with a question, and, and, and the question of the individual is repeated as part of the Quranic revelation, and then the answer is given. So there is a certain degree of spontaneity that is obvious here, and yet, despite this spontaneity, we see this remarkable connection between uh, the internal pieces of the text of the Quran, and then, of course, side by side with that, the mathematical uh, correspondence of, of things um, that that just gives it a, a further um, dimension, um, convincing us that this is a revelation from God. Awesome, cool. Thank you very much. Um, okay, uh, so one question we we kind of already touched on this. I think Robert kind of asked you about other books and how does the Quran's numerical patterns sort of compare to other books like Moby Dick or the Bible or the True for Can. Um, so I guess you could just to ask you, so, so you do see that the Quran is, is unique in terms of these patterns in some way. And my, my follow-up question as well, do, do you think that there has been like a sufficient, uh, so my notion when I'm evaluating miracles, it has to be unique despite a sufficient opportunity for duplication, that sort of thing. So I'm, I'm just wondering, yeah, do, do you confirm that it's unique and do you think there's been a sufficient investigation of other books outside the Quran to say, to justify and say, yeah, that the Quran is unique with these patterns. Uh, I know that many people have attempted to prove um, patterns within the Bible. There was, for example, the work of Ivan Panin, uh, but that has been criticized by Christians. And one of the criticisms they leveled against his work is that he seemed to have produced his own uh, Greek text of the, of the Bible in order to uh, get the patterns that he desired, uh, which for, for Christians is an obvious no-no. You, you have to work with the given text, not produce your own. And um, in, in, in our work on, on the Quran, we have worked with the given text, which is the Cairo edition. And uh, we have not tried to produce a, a different Quran in order to make the patterns uh, match. Previously, I mentioned the name of uh, Rashad Khalifa, who was the first person who publicized this kind, this phenomenon in the Quran. And I've already admitted that uh, the, the phenomenon does not occur in every place that we check. Uh, but he wanted to make it appear in every place, apparently, and in some places where it did not uh, work out uh, exactly as desired, uh, he proposed a modification to the text in order to get the patterns. 
And uh, for this and other reasons, uh, the Muslim community largely have uh, ignored his work and, and, and viewed it with suspicion. And, and uh, that's one of the reasons why it is slow in picking up among Muslims, even though uh, we, we likewise reject his attempts to modify the Quran. And we have continued to show patterns which are there in the Quran as we hold dear today. Um, some people are still suspicious of, uh, of it, given this, this history. Uh, but uh, to uh, see if such patterns might occur in other books as well, I tested uh, one phenomenon that uh, we, I know from the Quran to see if it is there in, in the Bible. The phenomenon I can describe very briefly, Dale, perhaps you heard this from me before. Uh, I, so there are 114 surahs in the Quran, and we can see the number of uh, verses in each chapter easily by going to the end of each chapter and note down by and noting down the, the last verse number uh, in that chapter. So we can tally this and we'll see that the total number of verses in the entire Quran is 6,236. Now, if we had uh, two columns, uh, one of the chapter numbers from one to 114, and the next uh, being the number of verses within the chapter, uh, totaling 6,236, and we add a cross, we would either get an even or an odd number, naturally, because any two numbers uh, added together will produce either an even number result or an odd number result. What is interesting is that of the 114 chapters, there are exactly 57 even number results and, and 57 odd number results. Um, so, so this is uh, not a major um, coincidence, but, but nonetheless, it's, uh, I will call it a minor coincidence, but notable. Uh, what is even more remarkable is that if we tally, if we, if we took the sum of these two columns in which we have uh, the even numbers in one and the odd numbers in the other, we'll find that uh, the total of the numbers, those 57 numbers in the even uh, number column uh, is 6,236, which is the total number of verses in the entire Quran. And naturally, the, the, the other column that has only the odd number results uh, gives us a total of 6,555, which uh, again, would, would, without uh, any further um, uh, coincidence being proved here, um, that, that turns out to be the sum of all of the chapter numbers of the Quran. So here we have like a, 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 a nice uh, system in which we have 114 chapters listed in one column, the number of verses in each chapter listed in the second column. In the third column, let's say we have the uh, even number results from adding a cross, and that gives us a total of 6,236, matching the total in the previous column, which is the number of verses in the entire Quran. And in the fourth column, we have the odd numbered results from adding a cross, and the total there is 6,555, which is the total of all of the chapter numbers in the Quran. So it just looks very neat and elegant, and, and this is a remarkable result. Now, uh, obviously, there are some constraints here because the two numbers uh, in, 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 in my rightmost column uh, must add up to the uh, sum of the two numbers in my leftmost uh, column. So there's some constraint here, but still, the, 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 this, this is remarkable. And uh, does it occur in other books? So I tested the Bible using data that is uh, easily available online 
where people have computed the statistics to show this uh, chapter number has you know, this many verses. So I went through all of the 66 books of the Protestant Bible and the addition, additional seven of the, of the Catholic Bible for a total of 73. And in none of these 73 books did I find these bottom totals uh, to, uh, to correspond as they have done here uh, with, with the Quran. Um, so um, I find this uh, to be a, an interesting uh, result, and uh, uh, perhaps other students will uh, find, you know, other uh, patterns to check for, and maybe they will find that uh, there are patterns in the, in the Bible and other books as well. Uh, what I'm looking at is the overall uh, argument that the Quran is the word of God. It's the Quran's own argument. And one thing that did not uh, pop up already in our discussion, Dale, is that the Quran often draws um, attention to numbers in addition to the fact that it spoke about the seven and the 19, which I mentioned at the beginning of my presentation, the Quran mentions numbers a lot. Uh, for example, that God uh, created everything by husband, according to measure. Uh, and, uh, and husband, the Arabic word husban actually re uh, relates to hisab, which means accounting. Uh, the, uh, the Quran says that he create, God created the sun and the moon and so on. The ta'lamu adada sinina wal hisab, so that you may know the number of the years and the, the accounting. Here we have the word hisab as well, which means accounting. Uh, the uh, 72nd chapter of the Quran uh, uh, ends with a verse that says, kull adada, and God has uh, numbered everything uh, numerically, something of this, you know, it's, uh, it would be the appropriate translation for that. So the Quran is mentioning that, uh, you know, the numbering and uh, accuracy of numbers and so on repeatedly. So it is uh, it ties in with the whole Quranic ethos and its attempt to prove itself as the word of God and uh, its promise to show more and more things as time goes by so that people will continue to know that this is the revelation from God. And, uh, and now we find this in our modern scientific and computer age. All right, perfect, thank you. Um, all right, so so here's the last question on my on my list, uh, and it's an interesting one because it's one that you posed to me when I was going over the shroud of Turin evidence with you in, in terms of Christianity, and I wanted to to ask you. So so pretend everything you've said about the numerical patterns, I grant it to you. Yes, there's a non-human intelligence agency that's designing all of these numerical patterns and they, they seem mirac of a miraculous nature. They can't be explained really naturally or that sort of thing. Um, what if somebody just comes up and says, yeah, that was Satan or it's a demon. They're, they're tricking you into believing a false religion or something like that. It's not God. Um, I'm just, yeah, it's sort of a theological question, but like, how do you know that it's God that's putting those patterns in there? Yeah, so I, I guess with something like this, one wouldn't be absolutely certain that, that this is from God, as opposed to some, uh, you know, intelligent uh, non-God, uh, some lesser God, some, you know, sometimes the atheists ask us, how do you know this universe was actually created by God? And then when we present arguments, they ask, well, how do you know it wasn't, uh, you know, made by a baby God uh, who did it for playful purposes and so on. Uh, so, you know, people can imagine all sorts of things. Uh, so I don't, I wouldn't build too much upon uh, that argument, uh, you know, whether we're dealing with the Shroud of Turin or, or so on. I, I don't know what was on my mind on, at that particular moment, Dale. Okay. Uh, so I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't build too much on that. I would 
prefer to just look at uh, you know the science behind it and to see uh, whether there's something remarkable there. But in in defense of the Quran, I would say that uh, one does not have to deal with these numerical patterns in order to suggest that maybe the Quran is uh, Satan's doing. We Christians suggest that to to Muslims uh, oftentimes. Uh, uh, but uh, in defense, I would say that the Quran actually is calling us to faith in God and, and is calling us back to that primordial faith, which the Quran describes as the faith of Abraham and all of the great prophets of Moses and of Jesus. Uh, the Quran teaches us to respect and, uh, and have great admiration for Jesus, regarding him as one of the prophets and messengers of God and God's Messiah. The Quran speaks very highly of Mary, and in all of the 25 times that the Quran mentions Jesus, and uh, even more so by name, uh, I mean, 25 times by name and in other references as well, the Quran always speaks respectfully about Jesus. It is true uh, that the Quran does not regard Jesus as God or as uh, having died for uh, our sins. And maybe from that perspective, a Christian might say, okay, so this is Satan's work calling us away uh, from uh, the deity of Jesus and uh, from his saving work. Uh, but other Christians who are not committed to those beliefs uh, may not have that objection to launch against the Quran. And looking at the Quran more holistically, it might uh, appear to many, as it appears to, to me, that, uh, and I'm, I'm convinced of, that the Quran actually is a restoration of the message of the previous prophets, the strong emphasis of the Quran in one God. Uh, which, as we know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4, that we know that there is no God but one. Uh, that, that exact formulation, there is no God but one, or close to that, is, uh, is in the Quranic declaration of faith. La ilaha illallah, there is no God but God. And, um, and, and even that formulation, no God but one, can be found in the Quran. Uh, um, uh, it, because the, the statements about the oneness of God are repeated in the Quran in so many different ways, so many different variations that this has left uh, its uh, indelible impression on, on the, in the minds of, uh, of Muslims. This is, is a cornerstone of the Muslim uh, faith. So uh, the uh, looking at the Quran, its moral teachings, its calling towards that which is good, uh, denouncing uh, um, uh, all of the evils that are mentioned in the Ten Commandments, like adultery and stealing and bearing false witness and so on, uh, calling towards good things like honoring your parents, as uh, we find among the Ten Commandments, um, uh, the call towards charity, which has become one of the um, pillars of the Islamic faith, prayer, which is one of the pillars, performing pilgrimage, which uh, Christians do as well, and Jews to their own uh, sacred sites, uh, which involves a, 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 you know, mental dedication to God and turning away from, from the devil. Um, so it's, it's hard to imagine that uh, the devil would inspire a work like this. Of course, one can always say maybe the devil inspired something that looks good so to, you know, to disguise the fact that he is behind it all. But uh, the Quran goes to great extent to um, denounce the devil. We mentioned the last chapter of the Quran where it says, uh, In that surah, Muslims are taught to seek refuge in God from Satan, who whispers uh, thoughts into the hearts of, of people. And the Quran itself says, uh, when you are going to recite the Quran, uh, seek refuge in God from Satan, the rejected one. So the, the, the Quranic story uh, about Adam uh, repeated many times uh, in the Quran shows uh, 
Satan uh, being puffed up with pride, disobeying God's command, and being cast out uh, from, from heaven uh, or, or from paradise. Uh, so the, the whole Quran is such that it's hard to imagine that the devil is, is behind it. And obviously, this is the teaching from God calling us back to the primordial religion of the great prophets. And uh, it's a religion which calls us to serve God and to turn away from Satan. It's awesome. Thank you very much. Um, all right. So, so I'm looking at the time. Um, I want to bring in Robert to ask one or two questions. Are, are you okay with going uh, a little bit longer? I know we're past 8.30, but do you... Okay. If we want to wrap it up with a few uh, remaining questions, sure. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Uh, Robert, yeah, I'll, I'll bring you in. If you have like one or two questions about everything we've been talking about for Shabir. Yeah. Um... I wanted to ask uh, a quick one about the uh, poetic kind of uh, uh, harmony and coincidences there. One thing I was unclear on is, does that, how much traction you'll get with that vary greatly <clears throat> with a skeptic? Because um, I don't know what skeptics of uh, Islam say about how the Quran was written. Uh, for instance, like if there's a certain um, uh, balance and symmetry to a group of books, uh, will a skeptic try to just say, oh, well, I don't believe the, you know, Islamic um, understanding of how it was written. And I think there was uh, a human design to those books, then it, it was on purpose. Or is that historically not even an option for the skeptic? Like, um, yeah, how does the how the Quran was written, um, maybe to a skeptic, does that come into play if using this as an apologetic? Yeah, I, I did not present this as a major case. Uh, I only, um, you know, discussed this in response to Dale's question and interest uh, uh, in it. Um, uh, if, yeah, I mean, books, uh, there, there are remarkable um, symmetries in, in the Bible. One, one can look at the first um, uh, 18 verses of John's gospel and one can see, you know, a, a chiasmus uh, where you start at the beginning, you go down and then you come back up. So this kind of pattern is already known in, in other writings other than the Quran. In fact, it is with that knowledge that scholars like uh, Raymond Farin and uh, Mikhail Kuypers uh, writing in French uh, have started to look at the Quran to see if the Quran has similar kinds of, uh, of, of uh, thematic patterns. And, and connections. And uh, in fact, uh, one might even say that uh, formulating the Quran along these uh, patterns would have helped uh, memorizers of the Quran. And, and since the Prophet Muhammad, presumably, peace be upon him, would have been the first one to memorize the Quran, uh, it would have been uh, convenient for him to have such patterns in his mind. So he knows he starts here and he's going to go around, and he's going to come back right there, and then he knows the unit is done. Um, uh, but so, could you say, could you say this is almost more of an argument from beauty and uh, depth of it, of like, because I understand that, of like, um, maybe it's not as much a, of a coincidence if it was a useful, you know, technique to memorization or whatever. But just, um, I mean, that, and I, I accept that argument in general, you know, uh, of like a, a poetic beauty or. Is that, sorry? Yeah, I, I think it is It is more than the beauty, uh, Robert, because in the case of the, like if we think of a gospel writer sitting down with pen and paper uh, or parchment or, um, a, you know, those um, um, primitive pieces of uh, types of writing uh, um, 
you know, uh, bay, bay papyrus, um, and then they, they have a chance to think about what they're going to write and, and, you know, they're going to formulate it well and, and, and you can see the result right there before their eyes. In the case of the Quran, because we're dealing with such a large document, which is like about four fifths the size of the old, of the New Testament itself, uh, for the Prophet Muhammad, on whom be peace, to hold this all together in his own mind, especially since it's developing uh, in you know in response to circumstances and events and questions that are being put to him as well. So for him to have all of this worked out in his mind and have these patterns like this, uh, I mean from a, from a uh, from a naturalistic point of view, naturalists want to explain everything based on naturalistic factors and causes. So they're not going to accept that God has anything to do with whether you're talking about the Quran or the Bible or uh, anything. They're going to look for natural causes. And they will explain that maybe this served this poetic purpose or this memory um, uh, purpose. Maybe this was a mnemonic device. Um but it seems to go beyond that because it is so complex and, and so uh, provisional as it related to various circumstances as they unfolded. There could be a war suddenly breaking out and there is uh, instruction about how to deal with this war. Uh, there could be a marriage suddenly taking place and then there is a mention of the marriage and instructions regarding a marriage and so on. So uh, with with this uh, with all of these changes and so on, it's hard to see that the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, worked it out in his own mind. Uh, second, if he if he worked it out in his own mind, nobody seems to have had the clue about this after him. His companions in his presence and after him, this was just was not discussed. It is only recently uh, that uh, Mikhail Kuipers. Um, uh, wrote about this, and Raymond Farron did for some further studies about this, and they published books about this. This is in our lifetime. Uh, so we're talking about a 1,400-year tradition, and, and Muslim scholars did not clue into this. Uh, it comes only from this deep study when we have the written text in front of us, plus we have our computers and someone that allows us to make all of the comparisons and check things uh, easily. So it goes more than the beauty, uh, but of course, it's not as strong as the numerical uh, patterns. Um, uh, but, but, but knowing the numerical patterns already and looking at this uh, aspect of the Quran as well uh, gives us something like icing on the cake to say, well, okay, it's not just haphazard. It's not as if uh, it was just strewn about. Um, it, it's there performing a, a very useful function uh, as a, a book of guidance for people. Uh, it's beauty and it's... Um, uh, the excellence of its composition and so on. That's one aspect of it. But then deeper than that, we find the mathematical patterns. It, it just makes overall sense. And one last quick question. Um, since you're obviously so familiar with the Quran and have much more of a feel for the text, which numerical one is the most impressive to you just personally that you, when you really looked at it, you're like, Wow, that's pretty amazing that those numbers added up. I'm just curious, which one for you? Yeah, I, if I were to identify one, it will be that last one that I presented with the recurrence of the number 377 in the various places. Awesome. Yeah, well, I think with that, uh, we can wrap it up. Um, so I just want to say, yeah, thank you. Thank you to both Robert and Shabir for coming on and presenting the case. Um, obviously, Shabir, you're... you're 
a world-class scholar and I respect uh, your research on this. Uh, but more than that, you know, I, I was happy to have you on because I like uh, having scholars that actually care about the little people and that sort of thing. And you, you were there for me when I, when I was curious and asking questions. So I have a lot of respect for that. So yeah, thank you to Shabir and thank you, Robert, for coming on and asking excellent questions. And thank you for having me on, Dale. It's been my honor. Awesome. All right. Well, have and thank guys. you, Robert, for engaging with me. It, it was an honor to, to get to ask you questions, Dr. Ali. Thank you. Awesome. All right. So just for the audience, what I have coming up next week, uh, Dr. Cheryl White will be coming on. She's a medieval historian and she's an expert in Catholic relics, which uh, for me as a Protestant, I don't know anything about. Um, so she's going to be talking about the historicity of certain relics. So look out for that and otherwise have a great week. Take care, everyone.